welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sunday School by Jason Cherry on January 9th, Lord's Day Service. So, so we're speaking to a mixed audience, which does make this a little tricky. And the thing I want you to know, especially if one who you know, is a credo Baptist, one who believes in believers' baptism, is, is that the goal here is not really to browbeat you until you change your opinion. And the goal is, is, is really not even to persuade you. The, the goal is you see why your pedo Baptist brothers and sisters believe what they do. Why do they baptize infants? Why do they sprinkle when they baptize? And so the idea is to just help you see that side of it. And so I want us to go into it with that mindset. And I think when we understand the different positions, that actually brings the sort of unity we're trying to achieve here with what we're doing uh, at Trinity Reformed Church. And so last week was our first week on baptism, and it it was focusing on baptism in the Old Testament. We started with the question, why did, the, why did the early church start baptizing? Where did they get this idea? And what we saw is that they got this idea from the Old Testament. And so really we saw two things last week. We saw first that, that a sort of baptism was practiced in the Old Testament. And, and, and secondly, we saw that the New Testament assumes this Old Testament practice of baptism. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to focus some more on baptism in the Old Testament. And we're going to focus on the fact that the entire debate between Paedo-Baptists and Credo-Baptists revolves around the issue of the continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. That question is the axis upon which the entire debate hinges. Now there's other issues, and we'll talk about those other issues in Sunday school, but it all has to do with continuity. In other words, the Pado Baptists say there is continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament such that the covenant sign was applied to infants for thousands of years and that has not changed with the new covenant. The Credo Baptists, and this is their best and most formidable argument, they're going to have to say, no, there's a discontinuity between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant such that the sign has changed. in in that we no longer apply the sign to infants. That is the key to this entire debate. And so what I want us to think about then is that issue. I want us to think about the issue of the continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I want us to see it from both sides and kind of see what their arguments are. And so first thing, let's consider the Pado-Baptist argument for continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So remember, Pado-Baptist, Pado means infant. So those who baptize infants say, well, there's a continuity between the Old Testament and New Testament such that we should continue to apply the covenant sign to infants just like was done for thousands of years before. There's nothing that seems to change that. And so there's a lot of arguments for this and there's a lot of ways to go about it. I want us to just to consider three arguments for the continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. 
And I do encourage you as we, as we, as we do this this morning to have your Bibles out in front of you. We're going we're gonna to look at a lot of different passages. And I think the more you're leaning into that, the, the, the more edifying this will be for you. So first, let's consider that the covenant is between you and your seed. The covenant is between you and your seed. And so you can go ahead and make your way to Genesis chapter 17. And it's a rather striking phenomenon in the Old Testament that the covenant always consisted of believers and their seed. Or in other words, believers and their children. And I want you just to see this. And these are pretty familiar passages. The covenant is between you and your seed. So for example, here in Genesis chapter 17, we'll start here in verse 7. God says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generation for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And they then gave the sign of the covenant to those offspring, to those children, to those infants. And so the reason the covenant sign was applied to those offspring, to those children, was because God, as it says again, Genesis 17, 7, establishes his covenant between him, Abraham, and Abraham's offspring. Now, if you keep reading in Genesis 17, going down to verse 10, he says, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. So that's the sign of the old covenant, circumcision, which was done on the eighth day. Verse 11, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generation, whether born in your house or bought with your money for, from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh in everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So there we see it in the Abrahamic covenant, the covenant and thus the covenant sign is between you and your seed. Now, flip to Deuteronomy chapter 29 and we'll see the same thing reinforced in the Mosaic covenant. Deuteronomy 29, really verses 9 through 15 we see again, the covenant is between you and your seed. Therefore, the covenant sign is given to you and your children. So Deuteronomy 29, 9 through 15. It says, therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them that you may prosper in all that you do. You are standing today, all of you, before the Lord your God, the heads of your tribes, your elders and your officers, all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives and the sojourner who is in your camp, from the one who chops your wood to the one who draws your water, so that you may enter into the sworn covenant of the Lord your God, which the Lord your God is making with you today, that he may establish you today as his people and that he may be your God as he promised you and as he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. It is not with you alone that I am making this sworn covenant, but with whoever is standing here with us today before the Lord our God and with whoever is not here with us today. And so we see again reiterated, particularly in verses 10 and 11, that the covenant is between you and your seed, between you and your children. Now moving on to the Davidic covenant, 2 Samuel chapter 22. 
You'll see again the same thing. 2 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 51. It says, Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring. So again, we see when the covenant's reiterated in the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 22, of course, 2 Samuel 7 is the main chapter there. We see this, though, being reiterated and given to David and his offspring. And so that means, and this is not a controversial point, even believers, baptiz- those who believe in believers' baptism know this and see this and acknowledge it. Uh, they realize that the covenant was given to Abraham and his seed, and, and, and that this covenant sign of circumcision was applied to children for thousands of years through the Davidic covenant, even. And so, what we see is that every covenant God makes with his people for thousands of years has at the heart, the principle that the covenant, and therefore the covenant sign, is between you and your children. In fact, the principle is so pervasive that when you are finished reading the Old Testament and you're, and you're, you're making your way now into the New Testament, the question is, can there be a covenant made by God without the seed included? You see, that's the mindset that people have as they go into the new covenant, as the new covenant of Christ is inaugurated. And that mindset, rooted in thousands of years of history, is to the extent that if the covenant doesn't include your children, then there would be no covenant at all. And so, as we're seeing here, the Pado baptists argue that there is a continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament such that the covenant sign continues to be applied to children. And we see first the covenant is between you and your seed. The second thing that points to the continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament is that there is specific continuity between the Old Testament covenant sign of circumcision and the New Testament covenant sign of baptism. And this is that all-important passage, Colossians chapter 2. So go ahead and make your way to Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. So again, what we're seeing here is that there is continuity between the Old Testament covenant sign of circumcision and the New Testament covenant sign of baptism. And so we look here, Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So let's just notice a few things here about this passage. Notice three things Paul here is saying about the parallels between baptism and circumcision. The first thing is to notice that there is, in the mind of the Apostle Paul, a definite relationship between Old Testament circumcision and New Testament baptism. Just look at the two main clauses. The main clause of verse 11 is, in him also you were circumcised. And then the main clause in verse 12 is, having been buried with him in baptism. And so what is Paul saying? Well, 
False teachers are telling the Colossian Christians that they must be circumcised if they really want to count themselves among the people of God. And so Paul is saying, you have been circumcised by being baptized in Christ. In other words, there is a precise relation between those two signs. There is a continuity between the two signs. One, an old covenant sign, namely circumcision. One, a new covenant sign, namely baptism. Thus, Paul is saying, you Gentile Colossian Christians, having been baptized, verse 12, you received the sign of the new covenant of Christ. And this new covenant sign has the same significance that Old Testament circumcision had. Verse 11. Another thing to notice about this Colossians passage is that baptism here is viewed as a covenant sign. And again, this is a pretty obvious point, but I don't want to skip anything. Baptism here is viewed as a covenant sign. So going back to Genesis 17, like we read earlier, circumcision is given to Abraham by God as a sign and seal of the promises that God has made to him in the covenant. The covenant originating in Genesis 12 and then Genesis 15. And so, so circumcision is this covenant sign, and it serves to assure Abraham that God will fulfill his promises to him. Well, Paul says here in this Colossians passage that you have been circumcised, having been baptized. And in showing the continuity of the two, Paul is reminding the Colossians that baptism is a sign of the promises of God that are made to us in Christ. Another thing to notice in this Colossians passage is just to consider the broader context of who is receiving the covenant sign. Credo Baptist protest that you shouldn't apply the covenant sign to infants because infants are not able to exercise saving faith. Infants don't understand what's happening to them when they're baptized. And they have no memory of being baptized. But when you see the continuity between circumcision and baptism, as Paul puts them side by side here, those concerns disappear. Because in Genesis 21.4, the eight-day-old Isaac did not make a credible profession of faith. Isaac didn't understand what was happening to him. Isaac had no memory of receiving the covenant sign, and neither did any of the eight-day-old children who received the covenant sign for thousands of years. So apparently in the mind of God, it doesn't matter if the child remembers receiving the covenant sign. He issued the covenant sign for thousands of years to infants who had no memory of it. And that never stopped Abraham or the leaders of Israel from applying the covenant sign to their children. God commands Abraham to circumcise Isaac because it's the sign of the covenant. And because the covenant is not just for Abraham, but it is for his descendants. And so, yeah, the infants may not remember the day that they received the covenant sign, but they will look back on their baptism, just like Isaac looked back on his circumcision, and they will remember that God embraced them before they embraced God. And in that memory, they've learned the gospel. In God's wisdom... The covenant sign is given to infants of believers, and in this, God is reaching down upon the helpless child and setting a sign on them so that when they grow and embrace 
Christ personally through faith, they can look back and see that before they loved God, he loved them first in Christ. And so we're, we're trying to establish that there is continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We've seen first that the covenant is between you and your seed. And we've seen second that there is continuity, specific continuity between the Old Testament covenant sign, circumcision, and the New Testament covenant sign of baptism. One more thing here on this point. The third way to point to continuity between the Old Testament and New Testament, and New Testament is to look at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Make your way to Acts chapter 2. So you know in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, Peter preaches this really long sermon. So this is after the death and burial, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. This is, this is in the context now of the new covenant, and he's preaching the gospel to them. And I want you to notice what Peter says to these people, beginning in verse 38. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children. So if you're a Jewish person listening to this, the covenant has been between you and your seed for thousands of years, and now the new covenant is upon us. And Peter is preaching the gospel of the new covenant, and he then says the promise is for you and your children. What would you have assumed? Well, you would have assumed that there is certain continuity between the covenants of old and the covenants of new, in particular with the covenant sign. And also notice that in the same that Peter calls them to repent and be baptized in verse 38. He tells them that this promise of Jesus Christ is also for their children. So for you who are here listening to the gospel, you who have repented and now are baptized, this gospel promise for you who have repented and been baptized is now also for your children. And the way Peter phrases this in Acts chapter 2, 39 about how the promise is for you and for your children, that mirrors the expression we find in the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 17, 7 and 8. And so in light of the fact that the Israelites had been applying the covenant signed to infants for thousands of years, the only thing they could have understood this to mean was that the new covenant sign of baptism will continue to be applied to their children. And so there's three things we can point to that kind of establish the continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's other, there's other things, but that at least gets us started thinking about it. What I want us to do now is I want us to consider the other side, and I want us to consider how what credo-baptists are doing and what they have to do is they have to argue for a discontinuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament such that the covenant sign is no longer, even though it was for thousands of years, the covenant sign is no longer applied to infants. That's their burden. That's what they have to do. And so credo-baptists will usually admit, as does Paul Jewett, the, the Baptist scholar, they will admit that circumcision may fairly be said to be the Old Testament counterpart to Christian baptism. So that's not really a debate point for Baptists. 
Yet what they do is they argue that there is enough discontinuity between circumcision in the old and baptism in the new that the covenant sign has changed in such a way that it is now only applied to people who make a credible profession of faith. And so if you're, if you're a pedo-baptist here, what I want you to do is I really want you to try to understand their thinking. I want you to get inside the thinking of a credo-baptist and try to understand why would they think this? And I'm going to do my best to make the case as they would make it. And, and so their argument for discontinuity, and again, I think this is their, their best shot. Their argument for discontinuity is usually rooted in the New Covenant passages in Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36. So go ahead and make your way to Jeremiah 31. And I want us to kind of walk through these two passages with, with our Credo Baptist hat on and just kind of see how are they trying to argue that there's discontinuity now between the new and old covenant such that the sign is no longer applied to infants. So make your way to Jeremiah 31. And, and their basic argument is that, and here I'm quoting from David Kingdom, the Baptist scholar, their basic argument is that Christian baptism takes over and deepens the spiritual and ethical significance of Old Testament circumcision while dropping away the national and fleshly meaning of circumcision. In other words, what David Kingdom, the Baptist scholar, is arguing there is he's saying that discontinuity is that redemptive history is moving the new covenant from external things to internal things. The new covenant is moving God's people from visible things to invisible things, from outward things to inward things, from earthly things to heavenly things, from fleshly things to spiritual things. And therefore, they argue that applying the covenant sign to infants in the old covenant was merely an external fleshly part of the covenant. It was just this visible earthly thing that is intended to drop away with the new covenant because the new covenant's all about the heart, not an outward people like a nation with a fleshly sign such as circumcision. And so they argue that applying the covenant sign to infants is external, visible, and earthly. And that's why it drops away because the new covenant is internal and the new covenant's about God changing your heart. Okay, so that's kind of an overview of how the credo-baptists think through this. And so let's walk through Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, and just kind of get inside the mind of credo-baptists for a moment, and you can really see why they might think this. Okay, so let's start reading here, verse 31. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Verse 32, Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers. And so the credo-baptists are going to really look at that and say, yet, yeah, see, don't you see that? It says right there in the promise of the new covenant in Jeremiah 31, 32, that the new covenant is not like the covenant that God made in the Old Testament. So verse 32, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. So pause right there. So do you see here where the credo Baptists are, 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 they're saying, look, the new covenant's about what's happening in your heart. 
Whereas the old covenant was about what was happening externally as God made a, a, a physical nation. And so that's going to change the Credo Baptist. That's going to change how the covenant sign is applied. So continuing here, verse 33, I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. All right, now keep your finger in Jeremiah 31 and flip over to Ezekiel 36. Go to your right just a little bit. Ezekiel 36, and I'm going to read this is the other major new covenant prophecy in the Old Testament. And so as you're flipping there, Ezekiel 36, remember, the Credo Baptists are arguing for discontinuity because now the covenant of God, which becomes the gospel of the new covenant, is internal rather than external. Okay, so looking here at Ezekiel 36, 24 through 27, says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water in you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So again, you can see there, there's this internal emphasis on the new covenant. And the Credo Baptists are saying it's such that the covenant sign is no longer applied to infants, but now it's, now it's changing only to those who have experienced the new heart that's prophesied about in the new covenant, that have experienced this regeneration and conversion that's prophesied about in the new covenant. And that's why, therefore, the covenant sign is no longer applied to infants. All right, now, um, you can maybe keep your finger in the Jeremiah 31 passage. You can go ahead and go back to that. We're going to look more at that one here as we kind of think through this together. So again, according to Jeremiah, according to Ezekiel, the law of God is now internalized. They're transformed from within, and only those who have this new spirit within them should receive the covenant sign. Now, what are we to say to this? Does the new covenant internalize the old covenant in such a way that the covenant sign is now only applied to those who have this new heart, who have this outward profession of faith? Of course, the Credo Baptists read this and notice what they're assuming about the old covenant. They're assuming that the old covenant was little more than a sign of physical blessing. And in particular, they're assuming that circumcision was nothing more than an outward external sign of physical blessing. And in this, they're misunderstanding the Old Covenant. And so, for example, they would go to Hebrews 8.13, which says, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And as you see, it's changed. It's changed majorly in the way that Jeremiah describes. It's been internalized. So the sign of the covenant is no longer applied to infants. So they read about the new covenant. They read about how it's internalized. They read about the new heart. They look at Pado baptists and they say, you know, not everyone baptized in infancy proves to be a covenant keeper. Not everyone baptized in infancy proves to have a new heart, which is the essence of the new covenant promise. And therefore, it, it's inappropriate. It's wrong to 
give them the covenant sign when the new covenant is all about this new heart and a spirit put within them. They say many baptized as infants turn away from Christ. They're not saved. They don't have this new heart. So let's consider a few things in, in response to this. The first thing I think you should notice, especially again if we're looking at Jeremiah 31 here, is notice that Jeremiah 31 is contrasted with the Mosaic Covenant, not the Abrahamic Covenant. And and that's obvious because he's talking about, for example, the law that will be put within them. So it's in this this setup of contrast that you may see, it's, it's a contrast between the Mosaic Covenant, not the Abrahamic Covenant. So Jeremiah 31, 32 says, the new covenant is not like the covenant that I made with their fathers. And he has in mind a contrast there with the covenant with Moses in the New Covenant. And the reason that matters is because when Paul starts expounding upon the gospel from the riches of the Old Testament, Paul explicitly ties the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Abrahamic covenant and to the promises of the Abrahamic covenant. You see this done in Romans 4, 11 through 25, Galatians chapter 3, and Galatians chapter 4. And so the gospel is fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant of promise, the covenant which established that the covenant sign be applied to infants. Another thing to consider here, looking at Jeremiah 31, 34. Consider this, consider this verse here. It says, For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. And focus on this part. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. And of course, from that, the Credo Baptists argue that only those then who are justified, only those who are forgiven, who have the new heart, can make an outward profession of faith, can receive the sign of the covenant. And they ask, how can, how can you think that infants are to be baptized into the inviolable new covenant when they often rebel against it and don't, in fact, receive the forgiveness of God, like is promised in Jeremiah 31, 34? And the problem with this argument is that Baptists regularly baptize people who also rebel against the covenant. Baptists also regularly, as you probably know and have experienced in your own life, baptize people who seem to be making an outward credible profession of faith who then go on to hate the Lord, rebel against the Lord, and have nothing with Christ. And so we need to realize there is no church on earth that can guarantee all of its members receive the sovereign grace of God. Whether you're baptizing infants or people who make a credible profession of faith, there is no way to know for sure that that person making that credible profession of faith is in fact going to keep that faith and persevere. And so no church on earth can guarantee that everyone who is baptized will then go on to receive the final saving grace of God. The ultimate fulfillment of the new covenant really doesn't happen until Christ returns. I guess then we'll know. But I don't think it's a good weapon against paedo-baptist when it's also happening in credo-baptist circles as well. Another thing to notice here as we think about Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36 is one of the things that the credo-baptists are really emphasizing here is they try to 
establish discontinuity is they're really saying but the old covenant it's about physical blessing and the circumcision of infants was just part of that physical national part of it that's now obsolete and the problem with that is that explicitly contradicts what Paul says in Romans 4:11. Paul in Romans 4:11 says he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith you see, circumcision primarily is not a national, physical, ethnic, external sign. Circumcision is intended to be a sign of the covenant, a seal of righteousness. And so it's simply not the case that circumcision is a sign of national, natural, physical blessing. And new covenant baptism, by contrast, is exclusively the spiritual thing in the heart. It's just, it's just not how the Old Covenant presents it. Circumcision was a sign of the people of God. It was not primarily a sign of physical blessing or even of ethnic identity. It is a sign of spiritual blessing. I mean, even consider in the Old Covenant the promise of the land. I mean, what gets more physical than that? That's a physical thing, a, a plot of land on earth. This is to be your land. But even that, we learn in Hebrews, is pointing to the promise of a better land of a spiritual blessing. And so spiritual blessings are deep into the Old Covenant far more than we realize, I think. The Baptistic position says the condition of the people in the Old Covenant was this outward national thing, including circumcision. And to that we have to point out, yes, the Old Testament people did turn a lot of their religion outwardly, and inappropriately so. That's kind of the whole point of the major and minor prophets, is to tell them to stop doing that. That's not the intention. It's a mistake to assume that just because the people in the history of Israel externalized the blessings of God, to then think that God approves of that. This is what the Old Testament prophets are saying. They're complaining about how the people of Israel turned the covenant outward when the idea was circumcision of the heart. And so the internalization of the law was God's ideal for his people throughout the Old Testament. You see this emphasized in Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy 10, Deuteronomy 11, Deuteronomy 30, Psalm 37, Psalm 119, Isaiah 51, Jeremiah 4, and Jeremiah 9. The ideal of the Old Testament, of the Old Covenant, was an internalization, was, an, was a spiritual change of heart, a circumcision of the heart. That was the ideal. And not only was it the ideal, but there were even moments in Israel's history where it was obtained. You see this, for example, in Deuteronomy 30, 2 Kings 23, 2 Chronicles 31, Psalm 40, Psalm 119. And so you can't just say, well, the old covenant was about these external things, and that's why you know, they gave the sign of the covenant to infants. But now the new covenant, it's all about internal things. Well, that, that, that contrast doesn't exactly work. Another thing to think about, when you look at that Hebrews 8.13 passage, this is a key passage for credo-baptists who are trying to establish the discontinuity between the Old and the New Covenant because it's that, it's that passage I read it earlier which says, by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And of course, from that, obviously, there's, well, therefore the covenant sign being applied to infants becomes obsolete. 
But the question in a passage like that is, okay, what in the Old Testament is obsolete? And what you see is that the things that become obsolete in the Old Testament are the priesthood in terms of how they did sacrifices in the temple, in the sanctuary, and that whole sacrificial system and some of the rituals associated with that. That's what's becoming obsolete because the sacrifices of lambs and birds and all the rest weren't sufficient to satisfy the wrath of God. And so we now have the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who comes in and says, all right, enough with all of that. That's obsolete. I'm the once-for-all sacrifice. Of course, Hebrews goes on and on about this very point. And so this makes it possible for believers of every race and culture to draw near to God through Jesus because he is the once-for-all sacrifice for sins. And so it's the ritual sacramental part of the Old Testament that is made obsolete. That's what is obsolete. That's what's aging. That's what will disappear with the coming of Christ. Another thing to consider, and we'll probably close with this and give you all a chance to throw fastballs at me in the form of questions. Um, but in Jeremiah 31, 34, notice at the end of this new covenant prophecy, notice what it says, Jeremiah 31, 34. It says, they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. So that's talking now about who is in the new covenant. And they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. So that means whoever is from the least to the greatest are part of the new covenant. So then you start thinking, well, what does that mean? From the least to the greatest. Who is that exactly? And thankfully, Jeremiah chapter 6 gives us a comprehensive definition of that phrase, least to the greatest. So I encourage you to make your way to Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah 6, we'll look at verses 11 through 13. So again, here, Jeremiah is going to give us a comprehensive definition of the phrase, from the least to the greatest. So if you're there, Jeremiah 6, 11 through 13, first thing, just notice verse 13. Verse 13, he says, from the least of them to the greatest. And so what he's doing in verses 11 and 12 is he's defining what that means, okay? So now, beginning in verse 11, Jeremiah 6, verse 11. Therefore, I am full of the wrath of the Lord. I am weary of and pouring on the children in the streets and upon the gatherings of young men. Also, both husbands and wives shall be taken, the elderly and the very aged. Their houses shall be turned over to others, their fields and wives together. For I will stretch out my hand against the inhabitants of the land, declares the Lord. For from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. So Jeremiah 6 is about how the corruption of the people has been total, affecting every part of society. Therefore, punishment will be total, affecting every part of society. And the judgment of destruction is aimed at the five stages of life. Verse 11, children. Pause there for a moment. So the word for children is used nine times in the Old Testament. According to the NASB Bible Dictionary, this can be translated as child or infant. 
Joel chapter 2 verse 16 uses the word when it says, gather the children, even the nursing infants. Micah 2.9 translates this as young children. Nahum 3.10 translates it as infants. So again, the judgment of destruction is aimed at the five stages of life. Verse 11, the children, which is the infants. Second, also verse 11, the adolescents in their social groups. Third, still verse 11, the married adults. Fourth, still verse 11, the senior citizens. And then fifth, still verse 11, the most advanced in age. Then, verse 13 uses the phrase, from the least to the greatest, as a summary description of the five stages of life, from cradle to grave, in other words, from infancy to death. That's what the phrase means. From least to the greatest means from the infants all the way to the very, very old. So, when you go back to Jeremiah 31, let's go back now to Jeremiah 31, now we have a specific definition in mind of this phrase. Let's read it again and see exactly who the new covenant's for. Starting in verse 33, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will remember their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And so we see that the new covenant is intended for the little children. And of course, Jesus reiterates this in that passage. It's in, it's in Luke, Mark, and Matthew, the passage where Jesus takes the child, the young children in his arms and said, you know, to such as these belong the kingdom. Well, in the Luke telling of that story, Luke 18, 15 through 16, he uses the Greek word brephos. Jesus took in his arms the infants there. From the least to the greatest, the new covenant is for. And so for a people who have given the sign of the covenant to infants for thousands of years, who then read Jeremiah 31, 34, remember, read this as someone who has given the covenant sign to infants for thousands of years, you now then hear this new promise of a new covenant that's going to come, and then you're told at the end of it, and this new covenant is from the least to the greatest. This new covenant is from cradle to grave. It's for those who are infants all the way up to those who are very old. If you were a Jewish person and you heard that, who would you have assumed that the covenant sign of the new covenant was intended for? Would you have read that and thought, oh, okay, so now we're not going to give it to children anymore. Now we're not going to give it to infants anymore. No, that thought would never have entered your mind. And so as we try to wrap this up for today, to give us, we've got a few minutes here uh, for, for questions. Let's um, try to wrap this up today. Let's just reset what we've tried to do. What we've said is that really this entire debate, this entire argument hinges on the issue of the continuity between the old and the new covenant. Pado Baptists are saying there is a continuity between the old and new such that the covenant sign has continued to be applied to infants just like it was for thousands of years and nothing has changed that with the coming of Christ. And the credo-baptists are saying, no, there's discontinuity between the old and new such that it's been internalized and uh, now only those who make a profession of faith receive the covenant sign. We tried to outline kind of those positions and try to think through that together.
Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. Thank you.